Good morning, I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations, finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on current projects. For the first portion of today's program, I'm sharing my recent conversation with the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. I'm joined by... Norma Cable, Public Relations and Marketing Specialist, Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. It's been a minute since we last spoke, but I still would like to start off with a bit of background since, you know, Tucson and Southern Arizona is just such a continually growing community. Can you just tell me a bit more about the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona, what you do and what areas you serve? Absolutely. So the Community Food Bank was founded more than 40 years ago, and we do now serve five counties in southern Arizona. That would be Cochise, Graham, Greenlee, Santa Cruz, and of course Pima County. So we do have our main warehouse here in Tucson, but we do distribute food all over southern Arizona um, to a lot of rural areas, um, and we also operate a lot of programs. I think that many people think a food bank is uh, just a place to go get food, and certainly you can do that. Um, at our resource centers, which are in Marana and Nogales and Amato and Green Valley and in Tucson. But we also do attack hunger from many different um, areas. And so we do have a farm where we do offer free garden plots for people to come and learn how to grow fresh fruit and vegetables. We do also operate a community kitchen called Caridad Community Kitchen, and that is a place of tremendous energy and work. Uh, we last year uh, prepared almost 600,000 meals there, and that includes meals for seniors, but also free community meals and also grab-and-go meals for people who are experiencing homelessness. We've certainly seen an increase in demand for that kind of service. And then we also operate school gardens. We also operate school pantries. We also operate a job training program out of Caridad to help people learn culinary skills and to help them get into the job market with some uh, skills that will help them get a better paying job. We also work on health and nutrition, knowing that diet-related disease is an issue for many of the people that we serve. So trying to get the healthiest and most nutritious food out there. We do nutrition education for children. We also partner with many agencies, and that means helping to fund them so that they can operate a pantry or so that they can operate programs that will help people. So we really... Um, are doing our best to operate in so many different ways to help uh, people who are in need and to help better our community. We work also with local growers to get fresh produce into the community. Also being very conscious that if we're distributing food and it's not food that's good for you, then, then are we really doing uh, anything good? So we really focus on healthy food, nutritious food, and getting it out there to the community. And lots of different methods of getting it out mm -hmm. into the community. As you mentioned, you've seen like the spike in uh, demand. Could you tell me a bit of how this time um, compares to a year ago, say this time? Absolutely. Yes, great question too. So we just wrapped up a record-breaking year for the Community Food Bank. We distributed 86 million pounds of food um, last year throughout those five counties in southern Arizona. And we right now are really preparing for what is going to come our way. November is always our busiest month and always that week of Thanksgiving. Those days leading up to Thanksgiving are busiest days of the year when we see the most demand. So last year, um, at this time, we were operating out of Kino um, Stadium at mm -hmm. the parking lot because the county was good enough to give us that huge space. We were uh, lining up 
four rows of cars early in the morning and seeing people coming through for a solid three to four hours. And last um, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we served nearly 2,500 people in the parking lot there using the solar canopies to shade the food and our volunteers and just hoping we weren't going to run out of food. And we did not. So we're very proud of that. Uh, we do not expect to see that kind of demand this year. Our numbers have certainly gone down, um, and we are not operating out of Keno anymore. They needed that parking lot to um, distribute the vaccine. So we moved back to our parking lot at our main warehouse on 3003 South Country Club last January, and that's where we are. We are still operating drive through distribution because in light of COVID, we just haven't been able to um, – say that it's a safe practice yet to welcome people back into our building um, like things worked before the pandemic. So right now it is still drive-through distribution. So we are doing our best. Um, and yes, we are expecting an increase in traffic. We are operating on winter hours right now, which means we open at 8 and we run distribution until 11 on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And we'll have some extended hours as we deal with that increase in demand that we are expecting. Different from last year, we're not expecting those kind of numbers. At the same time, we're still ramping up for an increase in traffic and demand because we know this time of year, that is always what happens. Mm -hmm. And, well, one of the big events for us here at Lotus is the Holiday Har Harvest Food Drive that benefits the Community Food Bank. So that's coming up next Thursday, November 18th. I'd like to hear a bit more about this event itself. Uh, kind of what items is the food bank looking for during this food drive? Absolutely. We are so looking forward to it. The Holiday Harvest Food Drive out at Sam's Club on Stone Near River. And we are looking for the basics. We're not looking for anything fancy. Um, our top 10 items include things like peanut butter, pasta, beans, rice, canned vegetables, preferably low-sodium options if you can do that, canned soups, canned protein like tuna or chicken, the basic foods that we can get safely to families all over southern Arizona who are in need, those basic items that we know can feed a family. I mean, peanut butter, a jar of peanut butter makes a big difference for a family who has children. We know that it lasts a while, it's good protein, um, and that it's a really important staple. So we're looking for those kind of non-perishable items that we can safely gather and store and then transport to other parts of southern Arizona. Mm -hmm. And so the food drive, like I said, is next Thursday, the 18th. Um, so it's going to be at Sam's Club. What hours uh, is the food bank going to be there helping collect food? Yes. So we'll be there from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., but I think Greg and Mayor from 94.9 will um, join in right at 530. Mm -hmm. They're there early. early. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's <laughs> early. And it's dark and it's cold, but they are always so great to bring so much energy to that day. And I think it really... Um, is such a community event in terms of the live radio broadcasting, people being able to drop by with a bag of food, with a few cans, with whatever they want to give. You know, pull on through, drive through, say hi, and then be on your way. We know people are busy, especially this time mm -hmm. of year, uh, with jobs to do, and, you know, they need to get their kids to school and all that good stuff. So we really appreciate the drive-by nature uh, of this event, but also just the enthusiasm of the radio host, the live broadcast going um, in the morning and in the afternoon, and always happy to see people. We have 
people who come every year and mm-hmm. donate specifically to this food drive because that's just a part of their giving for this time of year, and we just think that's a wonderful tradition. Yeah, exactly. It becomes part of the tradition. And something I always like is mm-hmm. seeing, you know, when you're getting towards the end of the day and just like being awestruck by the volume of food you see packed yes. in semi. Yeah. Yeah. Very rewarding. And uh, from what I understand, cash donations also are accepted and cash donations are going to be matched. What does this mean? Yes. Well, monetary donations are a great help to us also. Uh, when people ask us, would you rather have a cash donation or or food, we usually say both because they both serve really important purposes. Um, And so there is a match, a donation match from our friends at TEP, and they will match the first $25,000 in donations. So we're very grateful for that. I think people, you know, want to um, donate and it helps when they know their dollar will go twice as far. So that's a wonderful benefit to this day. Um, We are just so so excited to see what's going to come in. And, And like I said, it's just a good tradition. Also a good reminder as we get into the holidays that there are people who are in need, that not everyone is coming at this from the same place. And we know that children make up 30% of the people that we serve with emergency food. We know that seniors can also be as much as 20%. So definitely um, many people in our community in need. And, And what we know is that COVID, you know, brought the issue of hunger to the forefront with the long lines that we saw at the food bank, with the some of the bare shelves that we saw at the grocery mm-hmm. store uh, a year ago. But we also know that hunger was a problem in southern Arizona before COVID hit. So we're just very grateful to have this opportunity to address that. Mm-hmm. Something I had noticed right away when I was looking at uh, communityfoodbank.org was the big banner across that says, $1 helps feed two families of four. Can you explain to me a bit more of how that works? Sure. It's a question of our bulk purchasing power in terms of when we receive a dollar, we can make it go further um, than something you would buy um, at the grocery store. And so that's just how it breaks down in terms of meals. Um, We know also that I think it's about 96% of our donations, um, I'm sorry, of the money that comes in goes toward our food programming. So really important numbers to know. We do take that uh, very seriously and know that, um, you know, your donation matters. And so we can put it to good use. I think that's something important. Sometimes if you don't have a lot to give, you feel like, well, is it going to make a difference? But with $1 being able to stretch that far, a $5 donation can actually make a sizable impact for families in need this time of year. It really can. It really can. It's something that, um, you know, is surprising to think about, but it certainly does matter. And we know that families are in need. Um, We certainly have seen the demand go down. We are happy to see that because it was so incredibly Mm -hmm. high last year. Um, And we are also proud of the fact that we have stayed open throughout this whole pandemic, able to serve people. We have had to adjust hours at our resource centers. We have had to adjust the ways we operate because, um, like I said, we do need to take our COVID precautions. So our drive, our resource centers operate with drive up or low touch distribution, continuing to be careful um, in times of pandemic, but then also looking forward, hopefully, Um, next year, hopefully early next year, to beginning to greet 
people again inside our resource centers. We are looking forward to that day. We know that that's an important part of the services that we provide. Mm -hmm. And making that connection always makes a a big difference and feeling connected to other people. I had seen the statistic, the emergency food box program last year, you served over 100,000 people. Is that correct? For the emergency food pack boxes, actually, last year, we know that those went to more than 300,000 people. If you look at the five counties of southern Arizona, and normally what we serve is about Mm 200,000 people in a year. So we know the high demand was there. Uh, We're so grateful to the National Guard also, who got called in by the governor um, in March of last year and have been with us still. So when we talk about those emergency food bags and boxes, every one of those, has been packed uh, by a National Guard member in this past year and a half. And they do get packed in Tucson, and then they get trucked out to rural areas, like we were talking about, um, to Wilcox and to Safford and to Thatcher and to Duncan and Douglas and Nogales all over southern Arizona. So very grateful to that. When we talk about um, uh, supporting the Community Food Bank, we are looking for volunteers Mm -hmm. to help us with food distribution and with food production in terms of packing the bags and boxes because we know the National Guard is not going to stay with us forever and most likely is going to have to uh, leave in probably by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So we are looking for volunteers, so grateful to them. And that's just another part of the way the food bank works. If we didn't have volunteers, there's just no way we could do our work. Um, they donate in a normal year about 200,000 hours of work. So if we do have people listening who'd like to volunteer, we are asking and we are looking. And you can email volunteer at communityfoodbank.org and get some basic information to get you started. Or you can go on our website, uh, communityfoodbank.org, and just click on the tab that says get involved and find out more about it there. But yes, that's a that's a real need for us and a real great way to support the food bank and make sure that we can continue doing our work. I wanted to bring up one more of the big events for the Community Food Bank because it's returning this year, the Winter Haven Festival of Lights. I I was kind of blown away. I did not realize that this has been going on for over 70 years. Yes. So um, can you just tell me a bit more? Isn't that amazing? Right? (laughs) Sure. Uh, We are so happy to have that back this year because it is just a beautiful tradition. And um, so we are just so very grateful. And Winter Haven... Um, being able to walk that neighborhood and see the lights, I think, is just something that makes everybody feel better, and especially during the holidays when the residents there are so good about just decorating to the hilt. It's such oh, yeah. a beautiful sight. So, yes, um, and Winter Haven uh, will open. I think it's December 11th, and it runs through the 26th. Um, it's walk-through only, I think, except for that last night. What we love about it is that we do get, again, more fabulous volunteers to help us out. So when people are bringing a bag of food or a cash donation, we have people stationed at the entrances to help collect that. And, again, it's just a part of making this season a little more of a giving season, explaining to your children why you're bringing a bag of food to Winter Haven, what that difference can make. And so we are so happy to see that back. That is our second biggest food drive of the year, and we dearly missed it last year. Mm-hmm. I think overall, with the way COVID is running, we have been able to open up a lot of our public food drives back up, just like Holiday Harvest, 
Uh, well, that did operate last year, but Winter Haven and other events had to be closed because mm-hmm. we just weren't so sure of what was going on. And those public food drives make a huge difference to our supply in terms of getting the variety of food that we need to supply to families who are in need throughout southern Arizona. So, so happy to see Winter Haven back, very excited about it. Um, it's a wonderful event, and we love the fact that we can combine it with giving to people who are in need. So wonderful. Yeah, very excited about it. Yeah, and that's another one that kind of just becomes part of like a family tradition, going through your walk mm-hmm. on Winter Haven, dropping off your donations. That's right. Yeah. And so you mentioned that the Community Food Bank has its winter hours right now. And from what I understand, you also usually close for a couple of days uh, near the end of the year. Um, so what's coming up there? Yes, we will have that holiday closure again this year. Last year, honestly, it just came as such a much-needed break because when we were operating out of Kino, um, yes, we could operate fine and get the food out there, but it really took a toll on a lot of our people, our drivers especially out there at 3.45 in the morning and then having to work usually very long days. And so we did start with that closure last year, and we will be closed again this year. And that is only at the end of December. It is traditionally one of our lightest weeks of the year. And so let me check these dates for sure. Yeah, Um, get people through the holidays and then reset a little bit. That's right. It's a reset. That's exactly what it is. So the 24th through the 31st, we will be closed um, in December and then back open on January 3rd. But it is really just a chance for us to Um, take a breath and get a break and be with our families. And um, like I said, it is one of our lightest weeks of the year. So we were able to do it last year and not have it affect a lot of people. Um, We do know that a lot of our partner agencies are open at that time. Um, And so we will be taking those days again. Yes, the 24th through the 31st. Because of November and because of how heavy it is in November, We will be extending our food distribution hours on November 18th, which is a Thursday, and then on that Tuesday and Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, which is the 23rd and the 24th. And that's just a chance to get um, all that traffic that we do expect um, through and make sure that everybody gets the food that they have waited in line for. So um, November is looking uh, looking at us right in the eye, mm-hmm. and we will respond and um, and know that it's going to be a busy one. Absolutely. Well, Norma, is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap things up today? Just a real gratitude for the community that is out there, for everyone who has offered us a bag of food or a monetary donation or held a food drive for us, especially within the last year because of the high need that we've seen. Also, if you do have some questions that we didn't answer, communityfoodbank.org is our website. You can find a lot of what we're doing, uh, volunteer opportunities, how to donate, any other questions that you have. So we welcome you to go and take a look at, at what all is going on. Um, Like I said, it's almost difficult to kind of sum it up Mm -hmm. uh, because there is so much work going on all the time. Um, But again, we're just working hard and really grateful for all the support we've seen through this last year, especially. Wonderful. Well, Norma, thank you very much for getting us a little bit of an update and uh, in touch with what is coming up, the Holiday Harvest Food Drive, the return of Winter Haven Festival of Lights, and a little bit of a call to some volunteers if anyone is looking to help out with the food bank this year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Riley. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, I will be talking to you again sometime, Norma. I know it. Great. All right. right. Look forward to it. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. We'll chat later.
You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. That was Norma Cable from the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. For the next portion of today's program, I'm sharing my recent conversation about the big event next weekend, El Tour de Tucson. I'm speaking with... I'm TJ Jeskowitz, Executive Director, El Tour de Tucson. Well, I think it's best to start at the very beginning. We're approaching the 38th annual El Tour de Tucson, which means for many folks, there has always been an El Tour de Tucson. Can you tell me a little bit about how this now huge event got started? Well, it happened, like you said, 38 years ago, and it was basically just an opportunity for people to get together and ride around the city of Tucson. So Richard D. Bernardis started this event. He was the founder um, back in you know back in the 80s, and and basically invited people to come enjoy all the great things that had to do with Tucson. Little by little, this event has flourished and bringing thousands of people from all over the world. Uh, it, it's happened pretty much every uh, Thanksgiving or the weekend before Thanksgiving up until this last year. So it's been pretty consistent. Uh, always that, that weekend before Thanksgiving, it becomes a homecoming of sorts, a uh, family reunion of sorts. But uh, it is just one of the absolute treasures of the bike industry to have this event happening in November in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Has it always been a charity ride, even from the, the very beginning? Probably not from the very beginning, but it quickly caught on that, hey, there there needs to be some good attached to just a bike ride. So over the years, over $100 million have been raised to help local charities and Arizona charities. So that's one thing that we're very proud of, the fact that it's not just a bike ride. It helps. And this year we have probably about 50 nonprofits that will be involved with El Tour de Tucson. So like you had said, that the main purpose now behind El Tour is raising money for charity. And you had mentioned some numbers. 2019, that was when you reached that milestone. Is that correct? Huge milestone. I think it was about $5 million that was brought in dur- during that year alone so to push it over wow. uh, to push it over $100 million. And so, and that's, you know, basically there's a lot of riders that, that come from all over the world and you know there might be some people that are sponsoring them to ride that'll go to that cause so it's not coming into El Tor to Tucson but going directly to those charities and so real proud of the fact that we can help a lot of great causes out there yeah. so you say all over the world um, what's the furthest that you know of someone <laughs> coming to ride oh you know there's continents that that you have to look on the globe and find out where they are and mm-hmm. so you know it's not your just typical garden variety of, of Canada Mexico so when you've got people from you know various European countries, um, you know, countries in Africa and, you know, just just places that you're definitely taking a plane trip over here. And so uh, so when you start seeing some of those places, oh, you know, they're coming from Italy or Germany, you know, it's just really cool to have all those cultures coming to partake in El Tor de Tucson. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, you don't necessarily have to do the entire route. Well, there's all types of rides. So, I mean, little as one mile <laughs> for people to say, hey, I've, I rode El Tor mm-hmm. to Tucson. So there's a family fun ride, which is either one mile, five miles, or 10 miles. So those are the really short distances. Mm-hmm. People come with their, their children or grandchildren or, or, you know, they just want to get out there and ride. Um, then we have the longer rides, which are 28 miles, 57 miles, or 102 miles. Now, if you're riding 102 miles, you don't just wake up this morning and say, hey, I think I'll ride yeah. 102 this weekend. So those people train. There's people that ride it really fast, and there's people that ride it to enjoy it. And they're, you know, taking in the scenery, talking to people, all that kind of stuff. So you've got both ends of the spectrum, people that do it as a race, because it is a race to many people. But it's also 
their enjoyment of just, hey, I just want to go out and ride 100 miles today. Do you know of what like the fastest record is so far for all tours? Oh, you know, <laughs> when you look at the, the, you know, every year the route kind of changes mm-hmm. a little bit. So it's hard to compare apples to apples. Mm-hmm. But these people are riding their bicycle somewhere in that ballpark of 27, 28 miles an hour. And so if you think about that, yeah, over like just under you know, the limit of speedway. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so it's it's under four hours for them to complete the hundred miles. And so when you when you think about that, you know, what they're actually going out and accomplishing and, and keeping up that pace of, of twenty you know, twenty seven miles an hour, it's it's these are world class athletes mm-hmm. that are that are competing at that level. Yeah. And so uh, kind of back to the registration process. So from what I understand, you get to raise money for, you know, your specific organization. Do you have to uh, specify one single, like, nonprofit that you're raising money for? Or can you have a couple? Or how does that work? So there's a couple of different ways that people register. There's people that just say, you know what, I just want to ride. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, I have no interest in raising for this event for a nonprofit mm-hmm. or a charity. So you can ride just to ride or you can sign up to raise funds for a nonprofit. So it's either it's one of those those categories right when right when you sign up. Um, they can pick from about 50 different charities uh, on our website right now and it's all over the place. There's there's great causes, there's there's things that are fighting, you know, various um, you know, diseases such as juvenile diabetes mm-hmm. or you know, there's there's ones like Easter seals that have been raising funds. There's also teams like Rotary that have a different, um, you know, their their whole thing is about, hey, can we cure polio mm-hmm. o- overseas? So, so there's if you look at the different nonprofits from children to seniors to, you know, just various causes, there's something for everyone to get get involved in. But there is a and there is a, a primary beneficiary, uh, correct? Uh, correct. So the Children's Hospital right here in Tucson is our main beneficiary. So twenty dollars from every entrance into El Tor de Tucson will be handed over to the Children's Hospital. And so, you know, Banner Hospital, Banner University of Medicine is our is our title sponsor, and the Children's Hospital there is our main beneficiary. Uh, you mentioned there were over 50 charities, and those you can check out what those are on the website. Yeah, eltortetucson.org. If you look under the nonprofits, um, it's, it's just amazing. And like I said, all of them aren't, um, you know, ones that are fighting, you know, child diseases mm-hmm. or anything like that. Some of them are uh, like Ben's Bells yeah, and, and different. Know. There's even one on there, the Dallas Cowboys of Old Pueblo, um, which I'm not, not exactly sure what they're all about, but it sounds like they do some great stuff. There are people that root for the Cowboys, but <laughs> they they put their money where their mouth uh-huh. is and raise funds for some great causes. One of the best parts of going on a big ride is ending that mm-hmm. big ride. Can yeah. you tell me a bit more about like the post-ride party and sure. what's going on? Well, even leading up before the ride, we've got bands on Thursday night and Friday night that'll be playing. We've got Badlands that is playing, and this is all free. There's a, a 1055 uh, beer garden that's happening. So if you want to just come and enjoy some of those fest- festivities, you can. Gigi and the Glow are playing on Friday night. Again, free for all. Uh, and then post-ride, we've got the Mossman Band that's playing. So we've got music and entertainment. you got a beer garden. you got food. You can go out there and cheer your, your relatives on, your friends on, or you know, if you just want to come out and, and, and uh, you know, wish people well, come have some fun. And there's other kinds of food, too. If you don't like the beer garden, there's ice cream and different things like that. So we want people, you know, this is Tucson's event. So come out, 
cheer people on, enjoy a, a beautiful November afternoon out there at El Tour de Tucson. Is there a, uh, a cutoff for registration? So the, the week of, you can register up until the week of, and then when it gets down to that last Thursday and Friday, you have to do it at the expo. Oh. And because we've got to be prepared for, you know, how many people are, are going to be coming to the event, all our timing people. I mean, there's so many things that go into planning for a safe and enjoyable event. So lots of the stuff's already arriving. Like they, we had a, a shipment of metals that came in, and I think there was over a, a, literally a ton of metals. When I say a ton, we okay. We lifted boxes of, of just just thousands of medals that are ready, nice shiny medals that are going to be awarded uh, in a few short weeks. So, so if you are thinking about it, uh, by the end of the month, the, the rates go up a little bit. So, if you are thinking about, you know, riding El Tor to Tucson, you know, certainly get that entry fee in early and save you a few dollars. Mm-hmm. So, last minute, you will need to be in person at Armory Park at the Correct. expo. Uh, so, can you just give a rundown of the the need to know? So this year's event is uh, November 20th. And uh, what are the times and... Sure. So our big our big ride goes off at seven o'clock in the morning. So that's the 102 miles that's so going to go all over uh, the community. Uh, fun rides go off at eight o'clock in the morning. At 10 o'clock, we have our 57 mile ride, and then at noon from Marana, we have our 28 mile event. So so all throughout the morning, we have riders that are taking off. And you already have the route uh, available, so you could go look up what it is ahead of time. Absolutely. All the routes are at eltortotucson.org. You can take a look and see. And there's some people that are like, hey, you know, is this going to affect us if we have an emergency in our neighborhood or something like that? I can tell you this. If there is an emergency, you know, the riders understand they need to pull off, let the emergency vehicles pass. So anything like that, there's no need to worry. We're working with hundreds, literally hundreds of law enforcement officers from as far north as Marana, as far south as, you know, down in Green Valley, uh, Pima County uh, does a great job. City of Tucson does a great job. All those municipalities working together to make sure that we can have a safe and enjoyable event. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add on before we wrap up? You know, just come out. I mean, even if you can't ride, just come cheer people on because it um, after riding a hundred miles, or if that's the longest ride, that 28 miles is the longest event, that last hundred yards or so that you can cheer them on and put a smile on their face, just come out. And uh, I think you'll kind of understand that they have a lot of fun on these bikes. And so if they, if you see them having fun, maybe think about getting a bike and getting out there. It's a great healthy activity for people to get involved in. Um, lots of people are, are willing to help you out to, to learn and understand about biking. Um, but like I said, if you can't come out on a bike, come out and cheer them on. Mm-hmm. And, and have some fun at the Fiesta at Armory Park. Absolutely. Post ride, check out the beer garden. <laughs> well, DJ, I really appreciate you taking this time to get us all up to date with the upcoming 38th annual El Tour de Tucson. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Riley. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. That was my conversation with TJ Jeskowitz from El Tour de Tucson. If you're part of a nonprofit group or organization that would like to be featured in an upcoming episode of the Lifestyle Tucson program, reach out to us by email, publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That's publicaffairs, all one word, at azlotus.com. For more information about the show or to listen back to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday mornings page at mixfm.com, kfma.com, klpx.com, or espntucson.com. Come